There are a lot of reasons why you might buy into a myth like marriage is obsolete. Pastor Trent Griffiths says one of the contributing factors could be what you've seen modeled. If you grew up listening to your parents cuss each other out each night and throw things at one another, if you were shuffled between your mom's house during the week and your dad's house on the weekend while trying not to be resentful of your stepmom that was sleeping with your dad and your stepdad that was sleeping with your mom, if you've been kept informed of high-profile adulterous scandals in Hollywood, Washington, and the church, if you've never seen a good marriage, I wouldn't blame you a bit for being a little bit cynical at my claim that marriage is good. That's why you think marriage is obsolete. You've never seen a good marriage. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We live in a day when there's a lot of cynicism and confusion when it comes to marriage. Maybe it's been that way since sin entered the human race back in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. But I do know that there are a lot of differences between God's perspective on marriage that we read about in the Bible and popular thinking about marriage. That's why Pastor Trent set out to shoot down some of the marriage myths that we can easily slip into believing. He's starting a new series here on Resonate, a series he calls Marriage is Obsolete and Other Modern Marriage Myths. This series will continue for the next couple of months. If you have little children within earshot, you might want to busy them elsewhere while you listen today. Today's program would be rated PG or maybe PG-13 as we talk about some adult topics. Or you can always come back and catch it later on our website, harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Pastor Trent gave this message in the summer of 2018, just weeks before his daughter's wedding. So let's listen. Here's Pastor Trent. My goal over the next five weeks is to deconstruct five myths that some of you really believe are true, and then to uh, replace those myths with the truth. Now, I want you to open your Bible to... Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And we want to replace this myth with the truth. So if the first myth is marriage is obsolete, we're going to replace it with this truth this morning. Marriage is good. There's a one-point message this morning. Can you handle it? One point, one scripture this morning. He's like, man, we're getting out of church early today. Oh, you haven't been coming very long, have you? So uh, we, got one, we got one verse, we got one point, but we got a lot to say. So uh, let's read this verse, Proverbs 18, 22. Everybody got your eyes on the Bible? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's so good. We're going to back it up and give you another run at that, okay? Here we go. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And now you're paying attention. All right, that's good. Now, we're going we're gonna to use this verse to combat the myth that marriage is obsolete. You know, sometimes what I'm doing up here is pastoring. There are other times what I'm doing up here is parenting. Now, We've shared our lives, our lives as a pastor and his family. It's just kind of an open book. It's kind of like living in a fishbowl. Well, here's what's happening. In 19 days, 
one of the fish is getting married. And that doesn't mean we lose the fish. That just means there's another fish going in the fishbowl, okay? For the next five weeks, I am parenting. I am only talking to two people. <laughs> the rest of you are allowed to eavesdrop on Pastor Dad as he prepares these two people for marriage. I only got, eight, I only got 19 days. And so uh, the first thing I want to let Brooke and David know is marriage is good. That's what we're going after here. Marriage is good. We just read it here from Scripture. There's another reason that we're going to do this. I, I would kind of assume there are some people in the room that might need to hear that as well because you're having trouble believing that marriage is good. Another reason that we're doing this is because everybody in the culture has something to say about marriage, love, sex, relationships. Everybody's talking about this. Every movie preaches a message about marriage. Every love song preaches a message about marriage. And our culture has no idea what it's talking about on these subjects. It shouldn't shock us that the same culture that flooded the internet with pornography and produced filthy shades of gray has created a generation of sexual predators that's now actually being exposed by the Me Too movement. We are reaping what we've sown and it's coming back to implode upon us as a culture. Maybe somebody ought to stand up and say, hey, I've got an idea. What if, just what if, I know it sounds crazy. What if a man committed his entire life and his entire sexuality to one woman for a lifetime? And they had kids together. And those kids actually grew up with their biological father and their biological mother who were committed to each other, even through the hard times, they got they, somehow they just worked it out with love and patience and forgiveness and forbearance. Anybody think that might help a little bit? Well, listen, you're not going to hear that outside of a church. So as long as you're in church, you're going to hear it here. Marriage is not obsolete. Marriage is good. Everybody's talking about Marriage, and let me ask you this, if marriage is so obsolete, why is it that two billion people watched Meghan and Harry do that? <laughs> How many of you men were actually awakened by your wives at 4.30 on a Saturday morning to watch that happen? That's because she wanted you to get a clue that that's what she wants this thing to look like. Marriage is good. That's why that little girls love the fantasy of Disney princesses. And that's why they love to see the charming prince risk his life to rescue the damsel in distress. That's why billions of dollars are written and sung and purchased that have an endless supply of lyrics about love, relationship, sex, and marriage. And it's why we pay way too much money for weddings. Let me just repeat that for a second here. That's why we pay way too much money for weddings and pay way too little attention to the actual marriage. People have asked me, Trina, are you gonna be emotional? Are you gonna be able to get through the wedding? I was like, uh, I, I'll, I'll probably be okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I may surprise myself. I may be a blubbering mess. But I am way more emotional about the marriage than I am the wedding. 
Did you know the Bible is full of wedding and marriage imagery? If you open, you say, I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. You open the page. You won't get to the second page without going to a wedding. The Bible begins with a wedding. And if you finally get to the end of it, do you know what you will read about on the last page of your Bible? A wedding. Do you know what you will find between the first page and the last page? It is the story of a love relationship. It is a story of a father who sent a son to win a bride who was pretty unattractive, ugly bride. He overcame her resistance. He drew her to himself at the risk of his life. He laid down his life to enter into a covenant love relationship that he will spend the rest of his life washing her and cleansing her and beautifying her. That's the story of the Bible. God didn't call Jesus the groom and the church the bride to illustrate marriage. He invented marriage as a way to reflect and image the story of the Bible. That's what's at risk when you give up on marriage. You are giving up on the entire story of the gospel. If you watched the royal wedding, it was a Christian wedding. Two billion people had the opportunity, if they had eyes to see it, the story of not just a prince and a princess, but the ultimate prince pictured loving his beautiful bride. Every Christian marriage is a preview of coming attractions when the bridegroom and the bride, the church, will consummate themselves together in perfect relationship. Another reason we're doing this series is because we are a disciple-making church. And about half the disciples that come to our church are married. I would like to see those of you that are married right now. If you're married, would you please stand up? I want to know where you're at. Married people, stand up. I see some of you like looking at each other and like, are we still? I mean, it's been a long time. Are we still good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, great. So these are the married people. And um, uh, we want you to have a seat now. I realize that not everybody stood. And so let me talk to those of you that were seated. Do not check out on me in this series. This series is not necessarily like how not to be so miserable in marriage series. It's not one of those series, okay? This is a, an apologetic for what God created marriage to be. Most of you probably hope to be married. Some of you long to be married. And some of you are already saying, if I got to sit and listen to you talk to me for five weeks about how I am not what you are describing, I'm not going to make it. Don't, don't give up. Did you know that the two greatest champions for marriage in the Bible were both single? Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Paul, we think, was married at one time because he was a Pharisee. So he was either a widow or he was divorced. Maybe his wife deserted him when he was converted to Christ. We don't really know the story there. But Paul was a champion of marriage. He wrote the most about marriage in uh, the New Testament. And Jesus certainly, as a single man, was very pro-marriage. Some of you are not just single. You're single again. You were married. 
You were single, you were married, now you're single again. And it may be hard for you to listen because you think, man, I just think of the pain and the wounds and the scars. I hope what you will hear is a compassionate heart that elevates what most people will shoot for in marriage, and yet some of you have had trouble attaining. There's compassion here, and hopefully you can, you can benefit from the strong marriages around you. And you may want to be married again. I want to say at the beginning of the series, are there grounds for divorce? Yes. Jesus said the ground for divorce is a hard heart, which is evidenced by two things, adultery and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And so some of you have gone through those things. And I hope that maybe you found the healing and the compassion of Jesus here in the midst of a church. There are other people here. Um, you were single, you were married, you were single, and now you're married again. You're remarried. I just want to say to you, whether you're in your first marriage or your fifth marriage, we're doing everything we can to ensure this is your last marriage, okay? Uh, we want to get it right. Um, there are some people here, no doubt, that are same-sex attracted, I'm so glad you're here, and you're probably wondering, is this a place where I will be accepted? Am I going to be condemned? I want to let you know that unapologetically, we have a high view of the Bible, so we accept the Bible's definition of a one-man, one-woman, one-lifetime marriage. That's what we're talking about when we talk about marriage. But you may be wondering, like, why do I have these emotions? Why do I have these feelings? Why do I have this orientation? Let me tell you this. Every person that stood a few minutes ago and every person that was seated, every one of us was born with an orientation away from God that led us into all kinds of things that God disapproved of. What we've done is we've brought all of that disorientation and brokenness, our sexual brokenness, we've brought it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and said, we are a mess. We want you to reorient us. Reorient us. We want to find our identity in Christ, not in what we feel internally or even externally. We want our identity to be in Christ. And so this marriage, this series would be a, a series for you as well. There are some people here who are married. You've been married one time, been married for a long time, and you're stuck. And you're not thriving, and you're settling for less than what God intended it to be because you're believing some myths about marriage. We want to dismantle those. And then there are some people here. I know you. I know you. You are making marriage look awesome. I am so grateful for those of you that are doing it God's way. And if you are one of those marriages that's modeling this, I want you to go and spend some time with Brooke and David uh, in the next five weeks and show them how you do it. Why do we say marriage is obsolete? Well, that's what the culture's saying to us. A few years ago, there was a study done. 40% of unmarried adults believe that marriage is becoming obsolete. And yet half of them hope to be married one day. Kind of schizophrenic. In 1960, 72% of all Americans were married. Today, that number is less than half. There's more single people in America than there are married people. People are giving up on marriage. And only 20% of Americans get married before the age of 30. People are delaying getting married. The good news is they're living longer, so they're married about the same time that we used to be, but they're just living longer. And so there's a, a lot of things that are happening surrounding marriage. I remember hearing a lot of sermons in church where the preacher was just so upset and so fired up about the increasing divorce rate in America. 
the divorce rate is not increasing anymore. The divorce rate is declining fast. Is that good news? You know why it's declining fast? Because nobody's getting married anymore. We've told people, some friends of ours, Andrew and I, we've told some friends, hey, our daughter's getting married. And they're like, why? People still do that? Yeah. And so for people of this next generation, the 20-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, they still want love. They still want companionship. They certainly want sex, but they don't believe that marriage is necessary to find any of that anymore. They believe marriage is obsolete. Hey, anybody like me, you had this really strange book show up in your mailbox in the last few weeks? Had yellow pages? Anybody get one of those? I was the only one. I took this in. I was so excited. I said, the new phone books have arrived. The new phone books have arrived. My teenagers were like, what's a phone book? (laughs) Marriage is just as obsolete to some of our teenagers as a phone book because they have found alternative ways to get what they think marriage should provide. And so there's porn that's a substitute for sex and marriage. There's couples hooking up sexually through apps on our phones like Tinder. And then there's people pretending to be married without the commitment. So, so why would people believe that marriage is obsolete? Well, here's some reasons. First of all, marriage would be, uh, people would believe marriage is obsolete because some people think God is obsolete. People are giving up on marriage because people are giving up on God. I don't expect anyone who hasn't entered into a covenant love relationship with Jesus to be interested in a covenant love relationship with an imperfect human being. I think it would be wrong of me to actually say, you really should commit your whole life to this person. They're imperfect. They're going to hurt you. It's going to require a lot of forgiveness. Good luck with that. I wouldn't expect you to really be interested in that until you had a covenant love relationship vertically with Jesus in which you realized you're not real attractive and Jesus had to use a lot of forgiveness and love and initiative to get through your resistance and your unattractiveness. And once you realize you are the object of covenant love vertically, now that becomes the motivation for you to thrive in a covenant love relationship with another imperfect human being. I am not interested in trying to convince you that you think marriage is good until you realize God is good. And once you have entered into a covenant love relationship with God, then you will gravitate toward things that God says is good. So if you've given up on God, I wouldn't expect you to really think that his plan for human relationships is something you would be interested in, which may explain why you're really not that interested in something God says is good. You've got a vertical problem, not a horizontal problem. Some people think God is obsolete. Other people have never seen a good marriage, a gospel-driven, forgiving, and forbearing marriage. If you grew up listening to your parents cuss each other out each night and throw things at one another, if you were shuffled between your mom's house during the week and your dad's house on the weekend while trying not to be resentful of your stepmom that was sleeping with your dad and your stepmom, stepdad that was sleeping with your mom, if you found your home being invaded by aliens 
otherwise known as stepbrothers and stepsisters, while you were dragged between four sets of grandparents on Thanksgiving and New Year's and Christmas, if you've been kept informed of high-profile adulterous scandals in Hollywood, Washington, and the church, if you got your idea of love, sex, dating, and marriage from a romantic comedy where the couple seems to have so much fun and so much sexual excitement without marriage, if you've never seen a good marriage, I wouldn't blame you a bit for being a little bit cynical at my claim that marriage is good. That's why you think marriage is obsolete. You've never seen a good marriage. And you are being informed and educated about myths regarding marriage. Some people are pretending to be married. The percentage of married Americans has dropped each year since the 1950s. And the number of cohabiting but unmarried couples has risen 1,000% in the last 40 years. You say, well, Trent, I mean, come on. This is, this is a wise practice here. You, you should move in, see if you're compatible, see if you can work things out to see if you want to like enter into that like big commitment of marriage. I mean, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, would you? Well, no, you wouldn't drive a car without test driving it. But your relationship with your car is a performance-based relationship. You want to see if this car can do for you what you want it to do for you. Now, if you're entering into a marriage like it's a performance-based relationship, your marriage is not going to last as long as your car you say, well, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to see if it's compatible. Listen, you, what you think is a myth. What is true sociologically doesn't back up your claim that this is actually going to help you in marriage. As a matter of fact, studies reveal that couples that live together, generally the vast majority of them break up in five years. And couples who live together prior to being married, they are twice as likely to divorce after marriage. It's not helping you. It's actually hurting you. And if you are having sex with your live-in boyfriend or live-in girlfriend, do you know what you're actually communicating to them? You are communicating this. I am the kind of person who will have sex with someone I'm not married to. I am demonstrating that because I'm having sex with you and we're not married. So let's say you finally get married. Okay, we tie the knot, all the I do's, great. Now on the other side of marriage, do you realize you are married to a person who has communicated to you, I am a person who will have sex with somebody I'm not married to? Do you see how you've eroded the trustworthiness that is actually the foundation for marriage? How much confidence can you have in the character of the person you've married if they will have sex with a person they're not married to? It's not helping you. It's hurting you. People say, well, we don't need a piece of paper to prove our love for one another. Oh, yes, you do. Let me tell you why. That marriage license is a legally binding document that records something that you will one day want to forget namely your irrevocable promise to stay married. 
Remember all that stuff about richer, poorer, sickness, health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live? Remember all that stuff? Yeah, you signed your name on a piece of paper that when you finally get to the poorer part and the sicker part of marriage, people can pull that piece of paper out and say, look, dude, you promised. The state actually has an interest in marriage lasting a lifetime. That's why do we go to the trouble to go to the courthouse and pay the money and file the thing on record at the courthouse. David, have you done that yet? Still waiting on that. It's coming up soon. I need you to get that done. All right. So anyway, you need the piece of paper. All right. You need the piece of paper because we want to remind you on the days that you want to forget those things. And you know what is so tragic to me as a pastor? I am finding an increasing number of people that come to church, lift their hands in worship, study their Bible, profess Jesus as their Lord, and yet demonstrate Jesus is not Lord of their sexuality. They've compartmentalized their Christianity from their sexuality. Jesus does not give you the right to do that. Jesus is Lord over all. And if he's not Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. If you are living together and you are not married, you have two options if you call yourself a Christian. First option, move out. Second option, get married. Now. Th those are your only two options. And if you are not going to move out or you're not going to get married, your third option is this. Stop calling yourself a Christian. Listen, one of the joys we have around here is watching couples kind of come in. You know, they, they do a little toe dipping to see if it's safe around here. And then they'll step in a little closer and they love what's going on. They're being taught by the Bible. They're experiencing Jesus and, and his presence in our worship. And then sometimes they come to the membership class and they'll, they'll fill out the paperwork for membership. And we look and it's like, hmm, we have two different last names, but we have one address. What do we do with that? Well, we love you very much to tell you, you've got two options. You need to break up in obedience to Christ, not break up, but move out or get married in obedience to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it, it never fails. A couple of times a year, after a good, loving conversation with a pastor, people say, you are absolutely right. We need to stop pretending to be married and we need to actually commit to a covenant love relationship. If you're just tuning in, we've been listening to Pastor Trent Griffith from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. He's reminding us that contrary to what we often hear in the media or even in our own hearts, marriage is good. We'll hear the rest of this message next week here on Resonate. As a church, we at Harvest believe the Bible is the Word of God, and it speaks to the everyday issues that we face, issues like marriage and relationships. We also believe that God designed marriage to be a picture of His love for us. So that puts marriage in a category all of its own. Well, we'd love for you to come join us for a worship service. Our church meets four times each week. 
And for more information about service times at Harvest Bible Chapel, as well as our address, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Or follow us on Facebook by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. So what do broccoli and donuts have to do with marriage? Well, they're both good for you, but in different ways, I guess. Pastor Trent will talk more about it next week here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have a happy new year. And my prayer is that God's word about marriage would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.